Here we go. It's Monday night, and it's time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, uh, Mike Balsamo. And I'm usually disappointed when Ira's not in studio. He's not here today, and we're also taping this a little bit earlier in the day on Monday. But there's a very good reason for that, Ira. Fill us in. Going to the World Series tonight in Philadelphia. And I'll be right back. Remember, I was there last I was there yesterday afternoon at a beautiful, beautiful day, weather-wise, not for Steeler-wise, but for Eagles-wise it was, uh, was there for the Eagles-Steeler game, and then tonight I'll be there, I'll be at in the game for, at the game for the World Series. Game and three. this must have been an exhausting week for you, Phil, listen on everything you've done. Thursday, Tampa, I was at the Tampa Raven game in Tampa, drove back to West Palm Beach, then flew out. Friday afternoon, went to Baltimore, actually to drive then to see Penn State, Ohio State on Saturday, and then drove and watched the games, and then uh, Saturday night, and, and my friend's house, and then went uh, to the game yesterday. So it's been in four days, two NFL games, one college game, and now I'm going to get three World Series games. And don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media. You got some great pictures. You got even got uh, you know ribbed by the Eagles mascot a little bit. You had a, a great couple of days, Ira, and you could follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports to see as well. And Mike Vaccaro is going to join us in just about ten minutes from the New York Post. Tell us about him. Um, the lead New York Post sports writer for the last twenty years. If you read the New York Post, he has good comments on everything. He's one of my favorite writers. I'm so glad. I've always wanted to have him on. It's been hard to get him on sometimes, and I think it's what a great time to have him on because he's an expert on baseball. He covers all the sports, but I would I would encourage anyone who's get the post, read him, read his stories. He's a very he's very funny. Like when he writes, it's not it's always with this uh, a tone. He's a very good writer. So let's start off with the World Series, Ira. And this was something where a lot of people thought, well, this is just going to be a sweep. The Astros are just that good. The, the Phillies are not. There's definitely an imbalance in the teams and their win-loss records. But it's, we got a series so far. Let's, let's start at the beginning. I was wrong. You were right. I mean, I, I, I thought this is the second biggest win deficiency in the history of the World Series. 106 wins that Astros won, 87 for the Phillies in 1906. You have to go back to 1906. The Chicago White Sox won 93 games, and they beat the 116 wins. Chicago Cubs. What a what a World Series that would have been in 1906. <laughs> but uh, no, in Game One, and I looked. I mean, I was texting you. I mean, it, it, Verlander's on the mound. He looked, you know, against Nola, and it seemed like Verlander was like first ten batters. Everyone's striking out. He's getting at the outs. He's pitching great. Tucker has a home run in the bottom of, of the uh, second. Uh, that he, For the game, Tucker was three for five, five hours for the, for the Astros. They got another run in, and then uh, Tucker hits a home run. It, it, uh, Pena doubled. Uh, Dregman walked in the bottom of the third. Tucker hits a home run. It's 5-0. I think, what's the record? It was like uh, 900, some crazy numbers with 99% chance that they were going to win the game up 5-0, Verlander on the mound after three innings. But, you know, that's what – and I'm texting you, it's over. I'm saying, I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> and then top of the fourth, Hoskins singles, Harper singles, Castellanos singles, Braun doubles, it's 5-3. And I think this is where the thought was, boy, Verlander, who has, had, has 0 for 7 and, and has not won a World Series start. Now, he's been a great postseason player, been great, of course, one of the best ever in the regular season, and he's been very good in the postseason. The World Series has problems, but a lot of this back when the Tigers were much younger. But again, it's like he did not... I thought it was any other pitcher. I think they might have pulled him early because he looked like he looked like he was losing it. But then they came right back in the fifth. Marsh doubles, Muto doubles, and they tie they ties it up five five. Um, and then I got to give credit for Rob Thompson for the Phillies. Then he starts like treating this like it's Game Seven. He's bringing in Alvarado. He's bringing all his best relievers, trying to hold that down. Uh, and uh, they finally pull Verlander. Uh, but uh, and there was in the bottom, top of the seventh, Castellano struck out with the bases loaded. Uh, that was a chance. And then in the top of the, the top of the ninth, Presley was able to get uh, uh, the three up and three down for them. But in the bottom of the ninth, this is what's going to bother the Astro fans. The bottom of the ninth, Altuve hits the shot, hits the ball. It, it's a terrible hit. You know, he pops up, thought he made an out, but it somehow dropped in one of those loose, crazy singles. And then uh, and then Pena hits one out to right field, and Castellano, who is the worst fielding right fielder in baseball somehow in the last place I that might move in a few feet and he also got a great jump on the ball if he doesn't catch that ball Altuve who had you know smart enough to, to steal second base uh would have gone on a score Astros would have won but he moves in and makes an amazing catch and that saved it and then in the Obama 10th with Robertson pitching I mean by top of the 10th uh Rob Miramoto the catcher for the Phillies hits the home run and then Robertson was able to get the Astros out in the bottom of the 10th it was definitely an amazing game one of a World Series. Really set the plate for hopefully what we see across the rest of the series. So interesting coaching decision here, Ira. And we talked about this. I want to get your take on it. 
the Phillies went with Zach Wheeler as their number one in the other prior series. He's been their ace all year. They went with Nola in game one. And I was thinking maybe it was because, well, it's versus Verlander, so why don't we save our best guy for game two in case Verlander just throws a shutout? What was your thoughts on why they went Nola over Wheeler? I, I was trying to read about that. I'm not sure. I mean, Nola had been like longer in the organization, maybe something like that. I, was it what there is that was it was weird that they reversed it, maybe giving Wheeler. The only thing I can think of is giving Wheeler extra rest because Wheeler just pitched and maybe gave him some extra rest. Maybe he looked tired, maybe he's away. It didn't really work because then Wheeler didn't pitch well in game two. So, I mean, I don't, whether, I'm not sure. I mean, he didn't pitch well, you know, no other pitched well. But uh, I, it, it, I thought you, I, it was interesting that you said they were almost conceding game one. But you know that they only looked like they, the series is 1-1, but the Phillies think they're up. I mean, that's because they took that one game, which they had done in every other series that they had before against the Cardinals and the, and the Padres. You know, they were able to win those games that first one of those you know, one of those games, and that helped them out. And so they really feel like they're exactly where they want to be, 1-1. So that was, I guess maybe that was the thinking. So, well, like we said, Zach Wheeler is going to go in game two. They have to be riding high here with, you know, a great pitcher. Framber Valdez is a very good pitcher. I wouldn't quite call him great. What happened in game two? Because at the beginning, kind of mimics game one. Yeah, well, Wheeler just like, three doubles in a row he gave up in the bottom first. I'm in my car driving. Like, I was, you know, leaving the Penn State game, driving to somewhere trying to get the World Series. And it's like already, by, you know, after it's, it's, it's three nothing, by the time I can even get to the, you know, my friend's house to, to go watch the game, Valdez is just cruising. Bottom of the fifth, Bregman hits a home run. Again, five, it's 5 0 again. Wheeler's out of the game with 69 pitches. And then, um, then finally, I think the Astros, the, the, the relievers did shut them down because at 5-0, they brought in uh, they, they, Real Muto and Harper grounded out in the top of the seventh. Uh, they gave a double to Castellano. He was taking out the game from Montero. They grew up in one run, but they weren't able to get any, any other runs there. But in the eighth, you know, two men on, Schwerber uh, had it with, hit a two-run home run. Uh, it, but it, and that was the crazy one. You thought he had a two-run home run. But he ran around the bases. I've never seen it because he ran around the bases, but then it was ruled a foul. With all those umpires there, they could tell if it was a fair foul. And then he went back, and then he then he slid out deep. But I mean, at that point, they would cut it to a one run. It would have been a one run game if he would hit that home run. But it was like when you see the score go on the clock, and then go go on the scoreboard, and then go back. But uh, and then Presley came in, and and they were able to get the you know and close out the game at uh, five two. But it was crazy how the beginning of the game was exactly the same. The Astros jump out to these early leads. And game one, they blew it. And game two, they did what they, we expect them to do. So you're going to be in Philly for the next three games. What's the pitching matchups here lining up for the rest of the series? It's Syndergaard for Phil, for Noah Syndergaard for Phils tonight against Lance McCullers, who I think Javier has pitched better, the other Astros pitcher, but they're going to have McCullers. He's the one who got injured in, the what, I think, the celebration. That was that his, push, his star was pushed back a day the last series. Um, that's in game three and game four, Ranger Soros, who we've seen in relief coming in for pitching. He's one of the pitchers that they like to use, the Phillies like to use for the reliever against uh, Javier in game four. And then five, I would assume it's Verlander versus Nola again. They haven't really announced these. And, and it's, anything is 2BD, subject to change no matter what. Uh, Syndergaard, you don't think he's going to go deep. He really hasn't pitched much at all to end of the season. He pitched well with the last uh, close of the series they had, the playoff series. But, um, you know, again, I'm looking at the series, but Everything is like for the Phils. It's like we can play in our park. Citizen Bank's going to be loud. The Philly fans, like, I'll say this. Nobody, I was just wearing Steeler head to toe yesterday at the Steeler at the Eagles game. No one yelled at me. Everyone was friendly. Everyone was nice. I'm like, what? <laughs> we're happy. We're fun. You know, we're this crooked mood. Our football team is undefeated. Our baseball team's going to win the World Series. Like, this is great. Like, this is a new Philadelphia fan. They go, we're the city of brotherly love. Everyone's happy. You know, we'll see. They are really counting on these fans. And this is going to be crazy tonight in that in Citizen Bank ballpark. I remember they're right next to it. This is Bank and Lincoln Financial and the basketball arenas are like within like 20 feet of each other. It's just like the stadiums are right on top of each other. So it'll be, it's going to be super exciting. Uh, but I think that's what they're, they're holding on to say, who cares what we have? And uh, Castellano and Schwarber and Hoskins and Harper, with all that excitement of the game, they're going to get big hits and they're going to unnerve Houston. Now, Houston, though, has won on the road. I mean, he, they went up to Seattle and won that big game they had. They went to Yankee Stadium and landed. Houston's a, a team that knows how to win on the road. And Ira, how could you forget the Philadelphia Union beating NYCFC to go to the MLS Finals? So everything's coming up Philadelphia. Sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> oh, let's go to Mike McCarroll from the New York Post. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. I am so honored to have one of my favorite writers 
I love, I love reading his work in the New York Post. I've been a subscriber for the Post for decades, and he's been writing for two decades. So Mike Vaccaro, the awesome Mike Vaccaro, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Hi, it's my pleasure. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Um, we're going to jump into the World Series, but I know you had some comments about the New York Yankees, and uh, I, I, I loved your column that you wrote about what Aaron Boone did to motivate the team when they were down 3-0, this great motivational strategy. Tell our listeners like what, what Aaron Boone did to get his team ready for that final game. Well, it was, it was actually the brainchild, so if you want to call it that, of the director of mental skills for the Yankees, and they put together a video of the 2004 ALCS, which you uh, probably remember was the darkest on-field moment in the history of the Yankees when they blew a 3 nothing lead in the ALCS to the Red Sox of all teams. And uh, obviously no one, no, no other team has ever done that. It's a, it's a wound that still festers around the organization. And they decided, someone decided that this was a good idea to use this as motivation, which, you know, not only was, was a laughable idea, but also was, was pretty downright disrespectful of, some players in that team that had previously won, you know, four championships and uh, some who would actually go on and win a fifth and a manager who won four championships. It was just an unbelievable to me, you know, it makes you wonder what the, uh, what idea for a second that <laughs> they tried, decided not to use. And uh, like, obviously it didn't work. They lost that game. I, I, I can't believe that even if they'd done the impossible and rallied to beat the Astros in seven, that anybody would have credited that video with being the thing that turned them around. But uh, you know, just just read, you read the room, read the city, <laughs> read read the read. It, 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 it's just it, it, it's just so tone deaf that it's almost beyond tone deaf. And uh, you know, it it, it's, it 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 goes as part of the Yankees' permanent record now, which is too bad because it's uh, it's really kind of laughably stupid. And then it comes back to Brian Cashman, the general manager of the team. Uh, he's been there at seniors forever. I mean, if George Steinbrenner was here, I mean, he might have been fired to be hired three or four times. But <laughs> Hal Steinbrenner. Air it seems like nobody gets hired or hired. What it seems they, the seat is a little hot. I and mean, he made the move with uh, with Bader and trading Montgomery. Uh, they got a lot of press back against him on that. But now that's that sort of worked out a little bit. But the team's not been successful. Hasn't been in a World Series in, in over a decade. What's what's the story with Cashman? What do you think is going to happen uh, this year and maybe the next? Well, his contract is up, and so you know, there's certainly every opportunity for the Steinbrenner family to. Uh, thoroughly evaluate uh, you know, you know, Brian's performance and whether he'll come back. Uh, I think he's going to come back for a number of reasons, one of which is that the Steinbrenners, this generation of Steinbrenner is very patient, almost to a fault if you ask a lot of their fans. But, look, people say that, and yet if you ever went back to, say, circa 1987 George, uh, he was probably the least, least popular owner in, in all of sports, certainly in New York. Um, that, that doesn't necessarily work either. And the fact is, that, look, I mean, in Cashman's tenure here, the Yankees have They've missed the playoffs four times, and I think there was a number that my colleague Joel Sherman came up with that they've been mathematically eliminated for 17 days since 1998 when Cashman first came on, which is staggering. Look, I get it. The Yankees spend more money than anybody over that course of that time, and you know, baseball is such that it's almost impossible if you're any good and spend money to, to miss the playoffs. The fact is, teams do. Mets do. Cubs do. Uh, Angels do, and so there is a level of success that Brian brings you. And you know, whenever anybody tells me they got to fire Cashman, got to fire Cashman, I say, okay, that's fine. You know, that's totally a fair point. Well, who are you going to hire? And then it's like, um, well, anybody. Well, that's not the good answer, you know. <laughs> and I and I know that there are some people who are partial to Derek Jeter and so forth. And you know, I'm not saying Jeter wouldn't do a good job here, but I don't think he did a great job with the, with the Marlins. I get it. He had some constraints and he felt hamstrung and, and, and at the end I guess he felt a little bit lied to but uh, it's not like you have a, a, a history of success there either and there's no guarantee and in fact the problem is hire Derek Jeter or you know Derek Jeter ever hired Don Mattingly you know the way that things these go eventually one day you're going to fire Derek Jeter you're going to fire Don Mattingly and that's not always easy to do for you know for a franchise icon so I mean to me I mean I look I mean if, if your opinion is that uh, is the cash that you go and it's been too long since they've been in the World Series. It's a very fair opinion. I, you know, I, I support you. Just give me somebody who you think can do a better job. Let's evaluate that. And then the big question. I, I think this question has been asked by more than anyone. But first, before I ask about Aaron Judge, it answer and help to answer it. Where do we get to the situation? I mean, people forget that Judge is still technically on his quote rookie contract, so that's why he's a little older. He's thirty years old, and he's getting into this big deal. But but why wasn't this wrapped up uh, two years ago, three years ago, or even this past offseason? Why is Judge now a free agent, being able to sign anywhere he wants? 
Well, look, Judge had a, a year for the ages this year. He had a rookie year for the ages in 2017. Uh, in between, he's been very, very good whenever he's been able to play. But frankly, he hasn't been able to stay on the field. This is the first year since his rookie year that he's really been able to play a full complement of games. And, you know, a guy that big, he doesn't always project well to what his health is going to be like over the, over the long haul. So from that standpoint, the Yankees were a little bit reluctant to maybe go to one of those nine- or ten-year deals, which would bring you to age 20, 39 or 40. And we know how the back end of the, the back ends of those deals usually go. And uh, like you said, I mean, he was an older rookie, so he's an older free agent. And, you know, it just, the, 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 the Yankees weren't willing to break the bank or give him Mike Trout money, which is what – uh, Aaron believed he was worth, and you know, then he went out and proved that he probably is worth that. But you know, it's not a it's not going to be an easy investment because this guy is going to turn 37, 38, 39 years old at some point, and uh, history doesn't show in a clean era uh, that, uh, that 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 baseball players maintain their production at that, that part of their lives. So uh, it's, it's understandable why the Yankees were reluctant to to to, uh, to maybe make the pull, pull the trigger on it on a ginormous deal. But now, of course, they're going to pay for it because if they want to retain his services, somebody's going to pay him. And uh, if he's going to stay with the Yankees, the Yankees are going to be willing to pay him. I mean, it's almost impossible to read what his mind, he, you know, he has really been very close. He's probably handled this as well as, you know, I think that, you know, he sort of deflected the questions. He had a great year, did all those things right. I mean, you just hear about the San Francisco Giants because he's from that area and the Giants are in need of a star, someone to, to you know, they went out and got Bonds. Said, Look, I'm a Pirate fan. I remember when they took Bonds from the Pirates. You know, so right. They've done this. The history before is, is it could be something like San Francisco, could it be like the Mets, and then you hear the Dodgers, which I, I think would be impossible to think that would happen. But uh, what's your what's your feeling on that? Well, and then you hear stuff like Mookie Betts might be willing to move to second base to make room for Aaron Judge, and I guess if that happens, then you know they're the Dodgers. So I never see never when they're involved. Look, I, to, to me, I think I think the Yankees' biggest competition is going to be the Giants because they're motivated in terms of needing a star. They have they they have all kinds of money available to them to go out and try and land a big fish. And that was a team Aaron grew up for growing grew up with growing up, you know, and uh, those are all important things. I still have a hard time believing he's not going to be a Yankee next year just because I always have a hard time believing that when push comes to shove, the Yankees won't pay what they need to pay for a guy they want. I think they want him. And I have a hard time thinking that Aaron will walk away because there's just a lot of perks and, and possibilities and promises available to a guy who's going to be the face of the Yankees for, you know, over the course of probably a full decade. So, um, I'm still reluctant to believe that he's going to leave, but I certainly wouldn't be stunned if it happened. And certainly wouldn't be stunned if it was the Giants because there seems to be all kinds of reasons why the Giants would want it to happen and, and also why Judge might want it to happen if he has that kind of a feeling. But I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be a poker player at a table there and Judge because it's hard to read. Uh, so, so he obviously keeps those cards close to the vest. And, you know, it's, 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 I don't think anybody, anybody who tells you they know, they know what he's going to do, I think, is, is, is lying 100%. I mean, he handled it great. You know, he, was, he didn't snap back at reporters. He didn't say, I'm tired of the questions. He, you know, he sort of handled it like a perfect, it's almost like a, you know, a model in terms of how to handle a season like he was doing, and it didn't affect his play. It's a just tremendous way. I thought it was impressed. But I want to just turn quick to the World Series. Uh, Rob, Rob Thompson, the manager of the, of the Phillies, is, was at the Yankees. It seemed like for 30 years, it seemed like. Yeah. And, 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 and he replaced Girardi, Joe Girardi, who was, of course, with the Yankees for, for many years. It's, what, tell us a little about Thompson and how was he able to turn this team around from a 21 to 29 team to now take the team within three wins of being the world champion? Well, I mean, he's a guy that was very popular with the Yankees. I mean, players loved him. Uh, he, was, he was great, you know, even just speaking informally with, 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 with the media. You could tell he had the kind of personality that would work uh, as, a man, as a manager, in a, a major league manager in a clubhouse. Um, he was, I mean, the Yankees really came close to hiring him when they hired Aaron Boone. They went with Aaron Boone, uh, but, but, but said nothing but good things about the, the interview process with Rob. And look, I mean, I think, I think, I think there were two things immediately that jumped to mind that make him so successful with his Phillies team. I mean, he is a direct, you know, he's, he's completely different from the way that Girardi was doing it. Um, you know, far less over the top intense and, you know, I'm, I'm sure, a, a, a lot easier guy to play for. Um, Girardi was not easy to play for um, with the Yankees for sure, and it seemed like he was kind of following the same blueprint with the with the Phillies. Um, and that's fine when you're winning, and when you're losing, you can kind of lose the clubhouse in a hurry. And it seemed like that's what was happening with Girardi. Um, and, and that contrast, I think, really helped this team. I mean, you know, what, what I find most impressive, I mean, the Phillies are a good team, and, and they underachieved under Girardi. 
when Thompson brought, you know, to, took over, you know, forget it. I mean, it was either right before, right after he took over that they lost Bryce Harper for a couple of months. Right. And, they, and, and, and they still managed to turn around. I mean, to me, that was the most impressive part of the season. After Bryce goes down and they, and they start winning, they weren't winning at the same clip as the Braves. But they they weren't far behind for you know a good month. I mean, when they just you know they they they, they just turned their season from a complete you know from a complete uh, you know uh, pile of, of of garbage to to you know to, to, to a remarkable season. And obviously they had their 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 uh, nervous moments in September. But you know just just a fundamental change in the team you know right away under Thompson shows you how they you know, how they were. And, you know, it looks like these Phillies players are responding to him the same way that the Yankees players did, which is to say, they like playing for him, they respect him, he commands that clubhouse, he commands the dugout, and uh, you know, you could just, you know, I don't know if you can credit him with everything that's gone on in this magic carpet ride of October for them, but certainly, you know, he reminds me a lot of when Bob Lemon took over for Billy Martin in 1978 with the Yankees. You know, Martin was a guy who really kind of, his shelf life had ended with the Yankees, and Lemon was a guy who came in and was completely 180 degrees the other way on just about every level. And the Yankees responded to that and came back in 14 games behind and won their second state championship. I think this reminds me a lot of that. I think those Yankee teams are probably better than this Phillies team. But Phillies team, look, I mean, they don't have to call this for anything. And yeah, I know a lot of people are saying, you know, they got hot at the right time. And I said, you know, you know what, guess what? That's, that's part of what baseball is. You know, if you're a 101, 110, 111 win team, you probably should be able to stay hot in October, as hot in October as you were in August. And the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers—they weren't able to do that. The the, the the Phillies, you know, probably playing at a level that they could have achieved all year and didn't, but they are still alive, and there's they have nothing to apologize for. Well, they're using two uh, Met pitchers. In Zach, former Met pitcher Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard is going on for tonight. Um, that's, I guess, the question is in terms of is there pitching? I mean, it seemed like the Astros had such a dominance in the pitching, especially in the relievers. And that first game when Verlander gave up a five-run lead, and then the the, the, the Phillies relievers were able to to hold them to nothing, whereas the Astros, you know, weren't able to score, but the Phillies did score that run and win that steal that first game. Uh, what, what, what do we look for tonight with Syndergaard? And, and, and really, with the can the Phillies pitchers hang on and, and win this World Series? Well, I think that's you know, you know, it's kind of a combination of the last two things we were talking about because I thought that Game One was absolutely a, an example of why the Phillies players love Thompson because he saw an opportunity. Even though they started out down five nothing, once they started to come back, and he became super aggressive in terms of going to the bullpen and and and, and, and took the ball away from you know the guy who's been the ace of their staff for years. And, I don't think anybody second guessed that, and you know, well, guess what? It worked out for them. Um, and I think that's exactly the kind of game they're probably going to play tonight. Like, I, I, you know, Syndergaard in his prime would have been a guy that you would have looked at maybe going seven innings, giving you three hits, and then you turn over back into the bullpen. I think right now the, the Phillies would be delighted with four strong innings, still bringing the game in the fifth, and then you start doing the procession again. You know, and and uh, uh, to me, uh, you know, I think Rob Thompson showed. Look, I mean, I love Dusty Baker, and you know, I hope he gets a World Series before he's done because he's had a career that merits that kind of consideration. But I thought he was outmanaged by Rob Thompson in Game One, and I think because you know, at the same time that Thompson was going to his bullpen, I think the world could see that Justin Verlander didn't quite have it or was kind of you know losing leaking oil, and he didn't do it. And you can see the difference between that with the two teams, and the Phillies stayed around until. You know, until they're able to get the big hit at the end of the game, and I think you, you credit that to Rob Thompson and his aggressive approach to using the bullpen. And if we're sitting here next week on Monday and the Phillies are world champions and there's the biggest parade and party in the world up in Philadelphia now, I'm scared to think what it would be if they actually won the World Series. I mean, Bryce Harper, unlike the Astros, when Miguel Toby can go 0 for 25 and not do anything, if the Phillies win, Bryce Harper is going to have to have big hit after big hit after big hit. And uh, for someone who is not, it's just, it's amazing. First of all, he's benefited by the DH because if there was no DH with his elbow injury, he could play the field. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be able to play. Exactly. So, it's really, and also I remember Bryce Harper was consideration for the Yankees. You know, they got Stanton because they got Stanton. They couldn't really bring Harper in at that time. Uh, talk a little about Harper and where he stands now. What, he, what can he accomplish by in this next this next week? What's a crucial time for his overall career, really? Well, I think that the, you know one of the great moments of sports this year was was, was his home run in Game Four against the uh, against the, against the Padres against Game Five against the Padres. Uh, you know, it's a big guy in a big moment doing a big thing. I mean, that's. That's kind of what Bryce Harper has always promised, and he delivered. And look, his career has been fantastic, and and the fact that he came back from that injury, 
and has been, you know, yes, he's lucky because the, because of the DH, but you know what, he's taken advantage of that fortune and, and really kind of reestablished himself. I think in, in some ways, I mean, I think the last couple of years is because the Phillies were so bad, even though he had a great year last year, that uh, he kind of slipped behind some of the other, you know, bright lights in the sport, Mookie Betts and Mike Trout and, you know, Otani. I mean, and all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's kind of had this, this postseason so far where you're like, oh, that's right, this guy is great too. And, you know, the, the Phillies wouldn't be here, obviously, without him. But I agree with you. I mean, look, you know, sometimes you got to lean on, on on your guy. You know, I, and, I, and I thought that coming into the World Series, I felt a similar vibe between these Phillies and the 2015 Mets. You know, they, 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 in the same way that the Mets kind of got hot at the right time and kind of blitzed through the, playoff, the playoffs. But the problem with the Mets in the World Series is that they're two big guns, Cespedes and Daniel Murphy, who had, been, who had carried them, Cespedes in the World Series and Murphy in the, in the playoffs, they kind of cooled off. You know, and, 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 and I think that that was reflected in what happened in the World Series. And, uh, look, I think in order for the Phillies to, to, to finish the story in the way the Mets did in 2015, I think that uh, that Harper's going to have to have, especially in these three games in Philly, where it's going to be nuts, where every, every at-bat's going to be a party. Um, I, he's going to have to have, you know, a, a big game, two big games. He's going really, to be the star, the star that stirs the drink to borrow an old New York phrase uh, in, order for, in order for the Phillies to pull this up. Because, look, the Astros are really good. And I think they showed you something in game two that, you know, they weren't going to be, you know, they, they, they weren't going to crawl into a ball just because they had a terrible loss in game one. They came right back, won game two, and I think, you know, regained their swagger. And look, you know, they're, they're the best team still standing, no question. I mean, the better team than the Phillies, I would have argued, I could have given you a great argument that even if they were playing the Dodgers, they'd be, they were a better team than the Dodgers. They were clearly a better team than the Yankees. This isn't, a, this isn't an accidental team. So in order to beat them, you have to have your best players play their best, and that's who Bryce Harper is. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mike, I know I just got you on short notice. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I'd love to have you back. We did talk on about the Giants and the Jets, but you know, I would love to touch on those topics because they are they certainly provide such copy every every single weekend as a another story about those two teams. But I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and, and giving us some World Series and Yankee insight. I look forward to talking to you again, Ira. Thanks for having me on. It was really great. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. This show has been previously recorded earlier in the day because Ira's in Philadelphia getting ready to go to the World Series uh, Game 3, which kicks off in just about 45 minutes. Ira, you've had a busy week, as we've said already on the show. Penn State, you were there again. It was against a team that you guys really don't like facing recently in Ohio State. Well, Penn State's record against Ohio State and Franklin is, is now 1-8. Uh, and eight. Uh, it was the games have been close. I mean, some of the greatest. The, the one, the one was the was the Grant Haley block of the kick uh, that uh, uh, Marcus Allen ran in for. Marcus Allen brought in Grant Haley, picked up and ran in for a touchdown. I might have got that mixed up, but that was a, the great one at the end of the game. Um, remember, a couple of years ago, uh, Saquon Barkley had a tremendous game against the Ohio State in Columbus and almost won. But they haven't, they haven't, and they, you know, Penn State's not going to Penn State's not going to play for the national championship unless they beat Ohio State. So this is the big thing. Uh, I was excited for this game. Ohio State was here by 15. But the weird thing about this game was is that I, at halftime, I go underneath the stands, and then in the third quarter, and you're like, Penn State could pull this upset. Like, they were up 21-16 with, with nine minutes to go in the game. They, they, the vaunted Ohio State offense was shut down. I mean, they were not doing anything. They were kicking field goals. Penn State seemed and, – and the weird thing was, Penn State wasn't playing a perfect game. They were turning the ball over. Interceptions. Fumbles, everything, and they're still up twenty-one sixteen. I just, I, 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 you know, I was like, I'm actually believing they could win, and uh, they, they did it because they were outscored. I was at twenty. 28 to three. It seemed like in a, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes, it was unbelievable how that ending was. And it's almost like when you watch a fighter defeating, like an upsetting, like someone upsetting a, a boxer, and they're winning, and they're winning. It was the first round, the second round, the third round, and then finally the champion realizes, like, we're going to end this with one punch right now. And that was that's the, it was like a couple punches, but it was enough knockouts that knocked the Penn State out of the game. So, so how did this uh, game end up going? Because the line was big, and Penn State did manage to cover, but still, it, obviously, not the result you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, Penn State, you know, for the game, Ohio State, they get they went down. They had trouble. It's weird. The crowd it was not a whiteout. It was a stripeout. So they have to, every six section alternates uh, blue and white. But the fans were super loud. And, and C.J. Stroud, the star quarterback, who I think is fantastic. I mean, I watched the game with Kenny Pickett. And you watch Pickett and you watch Stroud. Stroud's another level. As much as he had trouble 
in the first couple quarters, you can see how he looks at every receiver. He he is so smart out there. I am a huge fan of him. I think that's why, and I think he should win the Heisman. He was tremendous. But uh, they did. They only got a field goal their first drive. Penn State Clifford threw an interception, but then Penn State when they did against Michigan, their defense sometimes looks like it's just not even out there. But then they get they get tough, and they only held Ohio State to a field goal, and they missed it. And then Clifford throws an interception by this Tomolala. Uh, defensive lineman for Ohio State, who in this game had – he's a defensive lineman. Two interceptions, a, 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 two sacks, a forced fumble, and a recovered fumble. I mean, it was one of the best defensive – it was a Michael <laughs> Parsons game or some crazy game that you could imagine that someone have. And he had an interception. Uh, then Ohio State had two long passes, and they were up 10 nothing. And really the score at that point should have been 21 nothing. This game should have been over. But they're only down 10 nothing, And then – uh, Sean Clifford threw this miracle pass to Parker Washington, who made a great run, 58 yards, touchdown, 10-7. And uh, then the Penn State was able to drive it uh, down again, and uh, they scored again and made it 14-10. I was like, where is this? You know, like Penn State is like, you know, it's, it's Halloween, Jekyll and I, <laughs> how they're playing. And the second half, they, they come down, and they, as I said, they, uh, Penn State drove down. It was like one of those things. They went, they converted four fourth downs. <laughs> they kept going on fourth down. And uh, they took the lead, of course, at 21-16 with nine minutes left in the game. And I think that's where Penn State was like, okay, we're in this game. Like, instead of saying, wait a second, this fighter we have down, like, what you see, it's like, this guy, they're, like, oh, she's just not going to give this game and say, it's okay, we lost. You know, they're going to come back. They threw, it was a 21-yard pass, a 13-yard pass, and a 41-yard run, suddenly touchdown. Now they have that the lead back. Next play, Clifford fumbles the ball to Alana, uh, forces that fumble. And then the next play, Stroud throws a 24-yard pass, so it's 30-21. to It went from 21-16 Penn State to 30-21 in the space of, like, actual time, like three minutes of, of like, actual time. So fast. And then Penn State kicked a field goal. Ohio State had a really fast drive, made it 37-24. Game was over. But uh, Clifford... Again, the, the uh, Penn State has this great freshman, five-star crew, Drew Aller, who was not in this game. They didn't play him at all. Um, you would thought that, and there's this whole big debate at Penn State, should, you know, should this top freshman play? And I, I compare it to what happened in Clemson when uh, Kelly Bryan was their star quarterback, and they said, look, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the future. We should put Trevor Lawrence in. They did. Uh, we see this with Alabama. Remember, Jalen Hurts, who I saw last night, who threw for 350 yards against the Steelers. He was the starting quarterback at Alabama, led to the national championship game, everything like that. They used bench for Tua. So yeah. it happens among other players. And Sean Clifford is no is no Tua or no Jalen Hurts. But uh, uh, Stroud was tremendous, 26 for 33, 354 yards, a touchdown. Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, what a player, NFL player all over, 11, 10 catches, 185 yards. Now Ohio State plays. They're at Northwestern. They play Indiana at Maryland. They're not losing. Then they play Michigan. So it's going to be this Ohio State-Michigan. It's going to be for all the marbles that in Ohio State uh, and Thanksgiving Day weekend. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. So, moving on, Ira, there's kind of a theme that's been developing as this season rolls on, and we'll talk about Georgia and Florida first, but it seems like, you know, we went into the season with guys like Tony Richardson, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, all jockeying to be, you know, maybe the, the fourth, fifth, sixth quarterbacks drafted in the NFL, this, uh, you know, upcoming draft, and they're all not doing so great, especially this week. Like, they might be falling round after round. And, uh, you know, T. Rich is one of these guys that we thought was going to, you know, have a fantastic season. And here Georgia comes in and, you know, absolutely crushes him, which we expected. But he's definitely not playing up to what we, you know, thought we were going to get out of him this year. I don't think Florida ever expected to be 4-4. Four and four. I think they're shocked by this. I mean, that, and, and they lost by 22. I think the surprising thing was they're down 28-3 at the halftime. So I'm following this you know, game while driving, and, and it's 28-3 at halftime. And they, they cut in, and they go on a 17-0 run. And then Georgia's like, oh, wait, wait, we should score some more points. So let's score some more points and end this game. Um, but uh, I think Georgia started looking ahead. Coach of Georgia for many, many years had a 17-7-1 record against Florida. He passed away at 90 years old. Uh, a couple of days ago. So it was, um, I think, for Georgia's perspective, uh, they didn't play. This is another game. This is not the Georgia team last year that I seem like just totally dominated everyone. But uh, there's, there's sometimes in the games they're a little sloppy. But so Michigan and Ohio State have those times also. So not, and all these teams aren't perfect, but they're still 8-0 and undefeated and just setting up for next week uh, for the big game against at, at Tennessee or Tennessee at home. So mentioned uh, uh, Levis earlier. Tennessee and, and Kentucky. And a lot of wise guys thought that this was like a trap game for Tennessee. The line was 13 and a half. And by the, t- by the time the kickoff went off, it was 11 and a half. So people were betting into this. Man, Kentucky's going to make this close. Not the case at all. And uh, Levis looked terrible. He looked terrible. He's the most sacked quarterback in the, in the college football 
Uh, their offensive line is a disaster. I think it's they're five and three. Um, maybe it's asking too much of him, but Hooker, Hendon Hooker for Tennessee, 250 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, five catches, 130 yards, two touchdowns. This is one of the most explosive football teams I have ever seen. If their defense can play well, um, it could be Georgia. I, I was shocked by the line. The line is like eight and a half. I, I, they are just not. I mean, the the, the bookies or the line setters are not. They're not giving Tennessee credit. I mean, every time if you did the, if you look at the eye test, Tennessee looks unstoppable. I mean, really, they look. Uns- There's a point where they, they, you know, they're like, well, they can't just kid. Why are you leaving Hyatt open? Maybe Hyatt's just good. Maybe he just gets open all the time because you can't be cover him. I don't know. I mean, we're gonna see that. I'm so excited for this Tennessee Georgia game because it really is this Tennessee team came sort of out of nowhere. And you're looking at them, and they're so dominant, and they beat Alabama, and they just rolled over Kentucky, and Kentucky couldn't do anything. I mean, Levis was held to 90 yards passing, three interceptions. The team was two for 13 on third downs. That's the best start for Tennessee since 1998. So I'm pumped for the next game next week, but uh, but what a what a performance by Tennessee. Michigan beat Michigan State, but this game is going to be overshadowed by some extracurricular activities after the game. Yeah, well, it's sort of what led it by Penn State sort of led this up. It, it's weird. So Michigan wins 29-7. It was like 7-7 at, at the first quarter, and then Michigan outran them 276 yards to 37 for Michigan State. Blake Corum, who arguably – I could see I could see him winning the Heisman also. He had 33 carries for 177 yards. They haven't been giving it to running backs lately, but he's carrying the team. He is the star of Michigan. If Michigan beats Ohio State and all the SEC teams have losses, Michigan's the only undefeated team. I think Corum could have a good shot. I see his odds aren't as I think fifth or sixth favorite. I think he could be much higher than that if they end up. I think people think Ohio State will beat Michigan. But I'll say this about comparing Penn State. I was at both games. Michigan ran for 400 yards against Penn State. They ran all over Penn State. Ohio State ran for like 90 yards. Like, and then Ohio State couldn't run. They ran for like 50 or 60 yards against Penn State. And uh, Penn State ran for some, again, uh, you know, so I think that the point is that this Ohio State is going, I just, Ohio State's running game, Michigan could stop Ohio State's running game. And I think Michigan could, oh, could, you know, dominate and run the ball, you know, down the throats of Ohio State. So from my perspective, looking at both games, Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan looks like a better team. Now, I think, Ohio State's more explosive, Stroud, all those things. But uh, the issue was after the game, they have one tunnel. And Buffalo is the same problem. You saw the game last night. You watched the Sunday Night Football game. In these old stadiums that have one tunnel, the teams come out and they go in together, and then they yell and scream at each other. Against the Penn State game, they were pushing and shoving. Harbaugh said that Franklin caused the problem. Instead of just having one team go in and then the other team make sure they go in. But in this game, the Michigan, one Michigan player was out and was surrounded by 10 Michigan State players after the end of the game was beat up. But you saw it on video. And it was terrible. I mean, these Michigan State players have to be suspended for the rest of the year. You can't have that. It's ridiculous that go on like that. Absolutely ridiculous. It just makes the, the university look terrible, too, uh, as well as the football team. I run Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Clemson and Bama were off, Ira. Where do we stand with them? Well, Clemson has played at Notre Dame this week, and that is going to be a big game because I don't think this Clemson team is very inconsistent, and uh, we'll see what happens. This is going to be this is going to, this Clemson Alabama this Notre Dame game is is just is going to be is a challenge, I would say, and I would not be surprised. Notre Dame uh, won this past week against Syracuse. They had a nice win. Uh, they're five and three. They're having you know they they had all these problems this year, losing to Marshall and everything, but. They could pull that upset off, so I'm not sure that this happened. And Alabama, though, they play LSU next week, and you're saying, so Alabama, LSU has a couple losses. Like, you know, they're going into Baton Rouge. I mean, they could lose this game, too. It's a huge rivalry. So both teams were off, but they both have big games. So what happened in the Big 12? We'll start with uh, TCU West Virginia. Yeah, well, I'll just go run through the, the Big 12 real fast. TCU is undefeated. Now, they beat West Virginia. They haven't looked good. If you look at an eye test, they're winning all their games crazy way. They're a great quarterback. Max Dugan is amazing. 341 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, West Virginia is terrible, and they still were in the game most of the way. I don't – look, Texas, TCU has to play Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Iowa State. I think they're probably going to lose two of those four games. So, but, it, but right now they're in position to get that fourth playoff spot. And the other big was Oklahoma State, who had one loss. They had the worst luck they've ever had at home. They were ranked ninth in the country. They lost 48 nothing to Kansas State. <laughs> crazy. Ohio, Oklahoma State was the third highest scoring offense in America at 45 points a game, and they were held to zero, and they were held to like a couple hundred yards when they were averaging like 600 yards a game. So it's, it was a crazy game uh, for that. What about the ACC? Well, we just mentioned, uh, of course, the uh, uh, Notre Dame-Syracuse game, uh, but i got to mention Miami barely beating Virginia to get 500, so 
won that game. And Florida State beat Georgia Tech. I mean, to think that Florida State, Miami, and uh, and Florida State are all four, four, you know, five and three. Those type of records are five and four. But uh, the sneaky game that people had to remember what happened was UNC, North Carolina, beat Pitt. What that means is they have a two-game lead in their side of the draw against Clemson. So it's looking like if Clemson does what they can do, the Notre Dame game doesn't even count in the ACC game. But if, uh, if Clemson can win the rest of their ACC games, or at least win one, just lose one, and North Carolina wins a couple, they're going to play in the championship game. And North Carolina could also give Clemson trouble. And I think people are not talking about North Carolina enough about their star quarterback and everything like that. May, um, they might... They might be a team that enjoys that. Whether with one loss, where they play, where they get in the national championship game, not sure. Probably don't think so. But the ACC is so weak, but they could upset Clemson. And what happened in the Pac-12? Well, we have three teams: Oregon, USC, UCLA, four teams, and Utah. They all won, and they're all going to start to play each other again, <laughs> and we'll see what happens in that. But I mean, teams. I'm listening to national news. People like Oregon a lot. Now they're saying Oregon. Uh, Bo Nix is their quarterback. Bo Nix was a, co- a quarterback at, at Auburn and, it was, and he was doing terrible there, went to Oregon, and he's now a superstar. And Oregon's winning, and no one's really watching a lot of their games, but the first game of the year, they got destroyed by Georgia. The question is, if they win the Pac-12 and they've lost what, 40 to nothing <laughs> to Georgia, it seemed like, you know, could you put a team like that in with a terrible loss on the record that happened to be, like, in August? So that's one of the things that people are thinking. But I think, as I said before, USC, UCLA, they all have one loss if one of them wins the Pac-12. And the way the Pac-12 and the Big 12 work is they take the top. There's no division like in the Big 10 and the ACC. They just take the top two teams. They play each other in the championship game. So UCF, you know, a couple of years ago was making waves, you know, trying to get the uh, playoff expanded, things like that, as they had undefeated seasons. You know, they were fantastic for a while. Might be on a little bit of a comeback, Ira, because they uh, took down a ranked team uh, this past weekend. Not only a ranked team, but Cincinnati had won. I think it was uh, they, they, they were tremendous. I mean, they had, they had won like 17, 18 straight games in the American Conference. They had won 19 straight games in the American Conference and the last two titles. And they had the lead in the game. And UCF came back and won in the end. Uh, huge win. I mean, an absolutely huge win over a good Cincinnati. Luke Fickle is a phenomenal coach. Very good team. He saw Cincinnati, you know, made the college football playoffs last year. So they're, they're a good, this is a good team. And, uh, but UCF didn't, I mean, it was like, I think what they're playing for is the number one team that is not in the Power Five conference. Uh, if they get in it, then they could have a chance to play like in the Orange Bowl or the other bowls that don't have the playoffs. So this is a big chance. Now, Tulane is the favorite because they have only one loss. So Tulane's the highest-ranked team in that. But this now, I think UCF, if they can you know, get and play in the playoffs for the American Conference, they would have a chance to actually play. I mean, what a shot at the program that would be. You know, I know a lot of friends at UCF is spending a fortune in their program with this beautiful new stadium there uh, up in Orlando, and this is another uh, just a big win for them. And uh, they're moving, remember, they're moving to the Big 12 next year or the year after. So that's going to be a big thing for them. So what are we watching next week? Florida. Uh, first of all, the, it's just the two big games. Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia, of course, favored by nine. Uh, Alabama is favored by 13 LSU. I cannot believe that line. UCF has that big game we talked about at Memphis. They're only three and a half point favorites. And, you know, the game that went from, I guess, my first 20 years of my life, Florida State, Miami, it had to be the biggest game. Each team was ranked, like, you know, top in the country. It was usually one, two. It felt like it was one, two every year. Florida State favorite by eight and a half at Miami. I just, was I wrong on that? I was looking and I looked at another one and said that. I thought that was crazy. But uh, Florida State, Miami, uh, which will play at night, which is, you know, again, I can't believe it's not that big a game. Florida's at Texas A&M, uh, another big game for, see, between two teams that have had disappointing years. I run Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We have uh, taped the show a little bit earlier in the day. Ira's getting ready to go to the Phillies and Astros World Series game at Citizens Bank Park. Um, Let's go to NFL. Ira, you're probably the only person on the planet who attended two NFL games this past week. First one was in Tampa Bay. And let's say, I mean, Tom Brady's getting absolutely crushed in the media. And it's basically like the sentiment, like, should he have just hung it up? And I thought not early on in the season with the struggles, but now it's starting to look like maybe Tom shouldn't have come back this year. They took a loss to uh, Baltimore. This was a crazy game. I want to tell you something. I thought it was a tale of two halves. The first half, I thought Tampa dominated. Tampa should have been up by more. They were up 10-3. The first drive, Brady looked like Brady with Godwin and Evans. throwing. They moved down. I I'm telling you, I think Tampa has to play at a faster pace. I think they. I think you. I. I. I don't know why they're too slow on offense. Tom Brady's the smartest quarterback in the world. Like, get, like, give him the ball. And I saw you saw it last night with the Packers. These smart quarterbacks, 
stop calling plays. Just let them run it. They know, you know you, there's nothing that you're seeing that they don't know. They understand these games. I, I don't, I'm sure Brady could do what he wants, and, I, and, and, and they talk about it. But I, I thought they seemed to be playing at a faster tempo in that first quarter, and they finally scored. It was the first time they scored in a quarter all year. Crazy. And uh, they go up 10-3. It could have been more. Uh, and then in the beginning of the second half, Shaq Barrett for the Tampa Bay Bucks got hurt towards Achilles, which is terrible. You didn't know at the time. But when he went out of that game, that Tampa Bay defense that seemed to be impenetrable in the first half, like Lamar Jackson was terrible. And, they were, and also, Baltimore was just throwing the ball. They, see, they threw the ball like 20-some times in the first half. And the second half, they said, oh, we're just going to run the ball the rest of the game. And I know he threw two touchdowns. If you look at his stats, the stats look better. But it was really, they just, just ran. They had touchdown drives of a 77, 80, and 85. And so, so even though Tampa was ahead, the Ravens started the second half. All the Ravens would score three touchdowns, and they got a field goal, and whatever they couldn't, they couldn't stop them. And uh, it was just, it was like Tampa couldn't keep up with it. There was, you know, Tampa punted, they had a bad pass, something like that. Um, but the, but the Ravens had 200 yards rushing in the second half. That's unbelievable. And this is the first three loss streak for Brady since 2022. Um, now they've lost. Bucks have lost five times in six games after a two and zero start uh, in a division that, of course, they're still tied for the, the lead for there or whatever in the division but uh just a terrible loss and i just you listen to you know you just see i'm right behind the bench and i'm telling you brady is still focused i mean he's on the halftime he's throwing the ball i think he has as much pop on the ball as he as always has um he talked to evans when they were there was a lot of miscommunications on some plays and routes but this they're i hope they turn around i mean i think a lot turns to todd Bowles. i mean todd Bowles. With the coach of the Jets, you're, you're familiar with him. He, he was unsuccessful there, and you thought after being this great defensive mind under uh, Arians after these number of years, the success they had there at Tampa for winning the Super Bowl. But again, he's sort of reverting back to this. You know, there's not that fiery aspect of him that you that some of the, you know some of the other coaches have. Uh, that uh, they're they're playing listless. They they almost seem like to have a coach that's more like a Dan Campbell at the Lions or whatever to wake them up. No, I agree with you. And, and, you know, when you're a defensive coach like Bowles is, the defense can't look bad. And nobody's scared of this defense right now. And it was a, a defense that won the Super Bowl two years ago by, by you know, shutting people out and crushing people. So I, I think the team's kind of listless at this point. I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs, which sounds crazy, especially as, a, as bad as that division is. So you, the other game you attended was your Steelers in Philly. I was a little bit worried for your safety, Ira. <laughs> We've heard. No, yeah. everyone said that. But it was, they're so nice. The people were nice to me. It was so nice. No, I know that. It's percent Steelers fans there. It's great. It's great to hear. Had you been to the link before? Because I guess they would only play there every eight years. Pittsburgh would. Well, I, w- I missed the last time. I think I haven't been there in eight years. I think the last time I, I was there, like eight, eight or ten. I don't remember. I've been to the link for. Eagles have been in the playoffs. So I've been to just straight. I've been to Temple football when Temple played Penn State and stuff like that. I was expecting the worst. I, I didn't. I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, I talked about Philadelphia, but that's why I was with a friend and I said I don't want to, you know, upset you because I was going. He's an Eagle fan. I can't tell you how many people I saw. Half one person's wearing a Philly fan, and the other, like they're going together, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or two guys. You know, one's having. You know, I saw I saw a family of four, and the and the mother and the daughter had Philly fans <laughs> and the son at the Steelers. So it, you know, they like, oh, we're all on one stage, we're all on the same team. I mean, where's this coming from? And they go, it's not like you're a Cowboy fan or something. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's what you want to do. It's fine with that. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Maybe it really is the city of brotherly love. I guess they're living it well, up to it for you. Like, Philly likes winners. They like they like to be on top. They love, they're happy. You know, that's when the, the team does bad. That's when they boo Santa Claus. When Santa Claus is delivering the presents and giving the gifts, they love Santa Claus. When Santa Claus is not doing well, then they're upset and they're throwing snowballs at him. But uh, it was fun. I got there super early. I, I thanked my friend, Mike, who we got there super early. And it was fun to walk out. You go into the area where the stadium, it's like Super Bowl. Because you go into the Susan area around the stadium, but they won't let you in the stadium. We're in the area. I got pictures with the Philadelphia Eagle, which is a mascot. And I kind of had funny with the Steelers fans. And with the bird, the Eagle. And also, like, some other pictures with the cheerleaders. And there were so many little things to do out there. And I loved it. It was, it was great to go in there. And the, I mean, I was I dressed like it was going to be, like, 30 degrees. And it was 70 and sunny. You could wear shorts and a T-shirt. It was so nice uh, for the whole game. And my seat was in this corner on the one side, but it, it, in this Eagle Stadium, the seat's really down low. I mean, I w- could walk down, and they would have really security. So I was almost like literally on the field when the Steelers warmed up. So my pictures are amazing. Because a lot of times they go to these games, they don't really let you get close to where the players are warming up. And in the field, that link, it's, it, there's not a lot of room on that sidelines in the corner. Like, it's just right there. So I was 
15, 10 feet of 15 away from the players. And I wish this was like Ben out there and not Pickett and whatever, but it, I still got pictures of Najee Harris and Pickens and whatever. So I love that being out there for that. So what happened in this game, Ira? Because I, I, it's kind of, I mean, it's tough to gauge Pittsburgh. You know, a lot of injuries are not a great team right now. But Philly's really making a, a case like, hey, we're the best team in the NFC and it's not close. Well, it's painful for me because I was in my fantasy draft and I drafted uh, and, and Justin Jefferson in the first round. I come back for the second pick and I picked Jalen Waddle. And then I deciding I'm sitting there at my draft. I know exactly what I was looking DJ Moore and AJ Brown. And I said, DJ Moore is going to Carolina. Baker Mayfield's going to have this great year. They're going to be phenomenal. And DJ Moore is the star wide receiver. AJ Brown's going to go to Philly. Devontae Smith is the other wide receiver there. He's like the second wide receiver. I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts. And it's like they, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown said to me, like, they came to, like, when A.J. Brown scored one of his three touchdowns, he turned to both the, the Steeler quarterback and pointed at them. It's like, I scored on you, I scored on you. <laughs> and then he got a 15 yard penalty for saying that. You're not allowed to taunt like that. But he should have turned to me and said, Ira, why did you not doubt <laughs> me? Why did you not doubt that I am this great? Because A.J. Brown is that great. Because Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, their chemistry is unbelievable. They just throw to him, he'll catch it. It's un, like, they should run. I, I was looking at them, they should, they should do it every single play. They should just have A.J. Brown run down and he'll catch every ball. The Steelers could put two people on him, three people on him, four people on him. He scored three touchdowns. It was effortless. And when the Steelers scored, it's like every drive the Steelers had, it was like a work. Do this, do that. Circularly praise. Go on fourth down. Try this, try that. And then at the end of the game, what does uh, Kenny Pickett do? He throws an interception, whatever. But this game was over. I mean, they put the Eagles with 10 minutes to go, put Gabe Minshew in. They put all the reserves in. That's how much a blowout this game was. It was 35-13, and it was, like, embarrassing to, to see what happened. The Steelers were totally outclassed, out whatever you want to say. And it's embarrassing. You know, I guess the Eagles fans felt sorry for the Steelers fans because it was such a bad loss. I mean, Pickett was, you know, he threw 191 yards, one interception, six sacks, and a fumble. I think the big news for the Steelers is after the game, he says, I think players have to read their playbook more. It's like, wait, <laughs> like nobody, like you are just a rookie quarterback. Like it's lovely for Aaron Rodgers to say that, but you're just you're just a rookie that's barely holding on to his job. Maybe you should say, I should read my playbook. Do not talk about anybody else in the press. You know, do not make any comments at all. So I think he's been getting, I think rightfully so, getting criticized for saying that. So Detroit is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde in that they have two types of games. Either they score no points. I think they they had six points their last two games combined coming into this one. Or they score a ton of points and blow it at the end. And that's what we saw. Got to give credit to Miami. Tua looked really good. And they pulled the, you know, the Dolphins pulled a comeback win on the, on the lowly Lions. Yeah, so the story that in national news today, because I've been watching a lot of it today in Philadelphia, is Miami is like this great regular season team. When you're in a dome or outside, two is going to look great. But when the winter get, weather gets bad, they'll be terrible because it's going to slow down hill and waddle. And my response is, I'm telling you, Miami, let's just start winning these games, and then you play every game in South Florida. Like, these <laughs> teams come down and play the immunity in January or whatever, but they'll be hot. Like, if that's the case, like, if you win all your games, guess what? The Super Bowl is not played in a cold-weather thing. Like, if you're good, you don't have to go on the road. So just win your home games, have the number one seed, and then you won't have any of these problems of playing up in Buffalo and New England and those things. You know, that would be the point. But I, I, I understand what people are saying, but... It was. I, I give the Miami defense credit. I mean, after that first half was insane, and then to shut the Lions out of the second half was crazy. The Lions only ball three times in the entire second half. So um, they went three and out. I mean, they went for two yards. They, they gave two yards. They gave one yards, and they had one drive. Uh, so at least the Dolphins defense turned it on there in the second half. So. Jets fans are really riding high right now. I've got a lot of Jets fans' friends being from New York, and this team, they think they're going to the Super Bowl. I, I, I swear, Ira, they do. Bill Belichick kind of knows how to bring young quarterbacks back to earth, and that's exactly what he did. I was surprised New England won because we've seen them look pretty bad the last couple of weeks, but we saw the Jets' inefficiencies with, with Zach uh, Wilson at quarterback. Well, I think they got away from it. I think that they did, like, I think they were, I think they listened to their, the press. Because the press was almost like, oh, you're winning, but you're not making Zach Wilson do enough. Like, he's not throwing the ball well enough. I'm like, well, who cares? I mean, it's like Brady the first year. Just keep it simple, win the games. I mean, that's what football is. It's, you know, this whole thing about Jimmy G and these quarterbacks, oh, they don't look so impressive. You know, you win the game. Play. Make your third down conversions. You don't have to throw for 400 yards. I mean, I'm showing, I can tell you quarterbacks all throughout yesterday that threw for 355 yards and lost. 
So just because you throw for 300 yards doesn't mean you're going to win the game. And I think that they got out of their way, and that's why they made it. Zach threw two inter- three interceptions. But I sort of almost was baited into that. It's like he almost told the Jets, like, you know, we're just going to say, you know, make Zach Wilson throw these balls. We're going to trick him and then make some mistakes. And that's sort of what happened. And it, I was surprised that Bailey Zappi didn't play at all. They used Mac Jones the entire game. But uh, now the, the England's 4-4. Four and four. I mean, they did not. This is a must win for them. They could not. They could be like all these other teams like Tampa Bay and Green Bay and the Rams that went to th- that dreaded 3-5 and five record. So big, big matchup in the NFC West, San Francisco versus the Rams. And I think this is one of the most polarizing games of the week. I think people saw San Francisco play bad last week and the Rams, you know, usually play pretty good, um, but they've been kind of on a downtrend as well. Mike Shanahan absolutely has had Sean McVay's uh, number over their careers. Christian McCaffrey, though, I didn't think he was going to make that big of a difference this, this quick. I guess he pulled off what you'd call a hat trick. I want to tell you the thing. I watched the San Francisco Rams game, and then I went to dinner and watched the Buffalo Bills game, and I'm saying to myself, I just may see the two Super Bowl teams. That could have been like the AFC, you know, that type of thing where you're seeing, the, you know, when you watch the AFC championship and the NFC championship and then the Super Bowl. San Francisco looks unbeatable. I mean, when they play like that, and they didn't have Debo Samuel. If you put, I'm like, if you have Debo Samuel on that, in that lineup with Christian McCafferty, and you saw – and. Jimmy G is the perfect quarterback for this. Like you don't want you don't want Jimmy G to be. I mean, just he, there's going to be what play, Kittle. They're going to be open. You're going to have players open all over the place. Just make the smart plays. He's perfect for this. I mean, he's 21 for 25, four intercompletions, uh, 250 yards, two touchdowns. McCafferty threw for a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown. 18 carries for 94 yards and touchdown, and he caught eight passes for 65 yards. He literally is amazing. And considering that Debo Samuel is almost the same type of player as Christian McCaffrey, you have both of them on the same team. How are you going to stop them? And their defense is great. And the Rams look terrible. The Rams, I mean, this, this, they, uh, it's unbelievable. Sean McVay, should get, you talk about uh, Baker Mayfield doing commercials. I mean, Sean McVay is on all these commercials that he's doing, but it's just, they're terrible. They look awful. They, they do, of all the teams that for the playoffs, if you put the Rams, the Packers, and the Bucks, I think the Bucks can turn it around better than anybody else. I, but the Rams look, this is horrendous. Like, they can't, they could not, this was a month, this is a home. This is a home game against San Francisco, um, Super Bowl champions, defending champs. They look absolutely horrendous. No, I, I agree with you, and, and I agree with the other point. If any team, if any of that big three is going to turn it around, it's Tampa Bay, because they look listless in Green Bay and uh, in uh, L.A. So, who would have thought, before the season started, that the game of the week would be the Giants versus the Seahawks, and it'd be the only game with both teams having a winning record? Giants just didn't have enough to get it done. Well, the Seattle 6-3, and three, Geno Smith looks fantastic, and I, I mean, we, look, everyone. I don't. I don't know one person that thought Seattle was going to. Everyone thought they were tanking on purpose. We did, and I, I, I've been searching the, everything. I never heard anyone say Seattle was doing anything but tanking. Pete Carroll should be fired. And Pete Carroll went on his press conference, the coach, and said, "Look, you guys thought I was old. You thought the game had passed me by. What? I, I'm not. I'm smart. Like, you know, he's always defending himself. You know, one Super Bowl championship, one national championship, and you know, he's like, I'm not. Like, I'm. You know, you see how full of energy he is. He's run up his sidelines, pushing referees, everything like that. So. But boy, I mean, Geno Smith. I mean, this is like I like what someone said. This is not his. He should not just win the comeback player of the year award. It should be named the Geno Smith <laughs> comeback player of the year because there's no one who's going to come back. He's going to be one of the elite quarterbacks of the league from being like a four string quarterback, and it's just crazy without even an injury. It's not like he was injured or anything, and then just said like whatever. But it, they're six and three now, and they might win this division because they're two. They're well, they're a game and a half ahead of. Uh, of San Francisco, but they're playing great and uh, uh, just uh, just an amazing. Just, you know, and then when Tyler Lockett, their star wide receiver, dropped the ball, and they all went to him and they said, oh, "Don't worry, don't worry," you know, whatever. They catch the touchdown next. I mean, they're loaded with two wide receivers. They have this quarterback, and uh, they're like, "Who Russell? Who?" I mean, <laughs> I don't know who Russell Wilson is. I mean, they're, I'm so much happier right now with what's happening. And Geno Smith came out and said, like, I didn't know how to be a pro. When I was drafted, I was a kid. I had no idea how to work out. I had no idea how to study. I learned this stuff, and I'm a better player now. It's a good lesson to young kids coming into the league. All right, we only have about 90 seconds left here. Let's uh, wrap up the NFL. Um, Green Bay, Buffalo last night. Buffalo got that huge lead. Um, and just coasted. Aaron Rodgers won 13 games in a row in prime time, uh, but then ended up uh, losing this game. Uh, they, they, again, people were like giving them credit because they finally figured out to run the ball, but they look terrible uh, as expected. And, and we'll see what happens. But at three and five, and then Denver, Jacksonville. Uh, all this criticism of Russell Wilson about, oh, he was talking about what he did on his plane over. I thought it was crazy. I mean, it seems like everyone should criticize Russell Wilson no matter what. I'm more concerned about Jacksonville. Like, we, they started out, you know, hot. They were 2 and 0, and now they've, you know, they've now lost six in a row. Um, the 20, you know, 21 17. Trevor Lawrence 
only 133 yards of touchdown. Uh, they're getting running backs for, you know, Travis and Dan started to run well, but I think this is in England. I know that Luffield didn't get a chance to watch it, but it was not not a good performance from Jacksonville. I was expecting a little bit more from them. Uh, from that. What, uh, let's wrap it up with some racing. I just want to say, is Ross Chastain, so there's only four drivers. It's the next last race for the championship. Ross Chastain uh, was out of the money going to the final lap and getting into the final four. He did something that he said, I've never, he says, I've never tried this before, but I do it on video games. He put his car against the wall and just ran against the wall, and he went 70 miles an hour faster than the other cars, which I couldn't believe it. I just can't even think it could happen. And he went and he got in and he actually dumped, bumped Benny, Benny Hamlin for the final spot because he passed five other cars. It was like out of the movie. Like, I can't believe that it was actually happened. So I give Ross Chastain a lot of credit. He, Christopher Bell, Joey Logano, and Chase Elliott uh, are all in it. They all represent the four top teams in NASCAR, so it's going to be interesting for the final race in Phoenix. But the if you don't have a chance, Google Ross Chastain and what he did on that final lap where he just put his car on the on the wall and just, like, zoomed through. And then in the Formula 1 in Mexico, Verstappen had won again. He's won 14 out of 20 races. It doesn't matter. He's already won the title. So it was sort of like a boring race to, to watch. But he's just the, by far the most dominant car, and he's just adding to his overall win total. But uh, they, they have uh, two more races in Formula 1. And only not, next week is the championship for NASCAR, the last race of the season. So uh, don't forget, Ira's going to be at the next three World Series game, one of them starting moments from now. Follow him anywhere on social media, at Ira on Sports. Thanks so much to Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post for joining us. He's Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.